Jonah chapter 2, page 916. This morning we're looking at the second chapter. A psalm that Jonah prays from inside the fish. So let me read this. Actually, let me start at chapter 1, verse 17. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 through chapter 2. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And from the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet, I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Well, we continue our study in Jonah this morning, and uh, what can I say? You just got to love Jonah. It's one of those stories that that is so uh, engaging. It's so unique. I mean, everybody loves the story of this, this prophet who... To whom God said, I want you to go east to Nineveh and prophesy to them. And Jonah said, thank you very much. I'm going west. I'm not going to do what you say, Lord. And he went in disobedience to God into the ocean on a ship. And so God sent the storm and, and it threatened to break up the ship. And so they tossed Jonah overboard. And, and then you know the story. The fish swallows him. And then three days later, spits him out onto dry ground. I mean, how can you not love that story? It's, it's so outrageous. It's so big. It's so fantastical. I, I feel like opening the Bible and reading Jonah is like coming into church on Sunday morning when it's VBS day. You know, it's just kind of, it's kind of over the top and grandiose, this, this story is. It's the kind of story that, that kids in children's church love to study about, and even adults love to uh, study in Bible studies. There's so much interesting about it. It's so unique. It's so out there. But what I want to argue this morning is that the story of Jonah is actually the story of every true Christian. That if you are really a follower of Jesus, if you've really come to faith in Christ, this fantastical story is actually your story. That, that in some ways it's so far away and so hard to believe. In other ways, it's really the story of every, every ordinary born-again Christian can relate to the story of Jonah. And I think that, that commonality particularly comes out here in chapter 2. Here we are in chapter 2, and chapter 2 is not so much the story, it's something else. It's a well, it's a prayer. 
that Jonah prayed from inside the fish. I mean, what else are you going to do from inside a fish for three days? And God indeed loves to bring us to places where there's nothing else we can do but to cry out to him. And so here he is inside the fish, and he prays this prayer. It's actually a psalm, and it's a particular type of psalm. It's a thanksgiving psalm. You know, in the Bible, there's different types of psalms, just like there's different genres of music. There's different genres of psalms. There are uh, royal psalms that would be sung during the coronation of the king of Israel. There are psalms of lament uh, that would be sung during a hard time. You know, oh, how long, O oh Lord? When will you rescue me? When will you save me, Lord? Uh, those kinds of psalms. Interestingly, that's the most common type of psalm in the Bible, psalms of lament, which would actually probably tell you something about the Christian life. It's not all roses. But then there's a thanksgiving psalm. A thanksgiving psalm is what you would pray after God rescued you during the psalm of lament. So you're going through a hard time. You cry out to God, oh, save me, oh God. God saves you. And so then you offer up the psalm of thanksgiving. It's kind of post-crisis, post-disaster. And that's what Jonah is praying here in chapter 2. He's praying a classic example of a thanksgiving psalm because he was going down in the water, the fish swallowed him, and he was saved from drowning. And so there in the depths of the sea, he has a sense of being rescued by this this fish that, that caught him, got caught by the fish. And, uh, and so he prays a psalm of thanksgiving. And what I, again, what I'm arguing this morning is as we look at this thanksgiving and this fantastical story of Jonah, we realize as Christians, this is our psalm, that we could pray this psalm just as much as Jonah could. So what I want to do is I want to take you through this psalm, and, and I want to sort of show you the, the kind of basic elements of a Thanksgiving psalm. You know, there were certain structural characteristics to a Thanksgiving psalm, just like cer- different types of literature have certain formal characteristics. So, uh, for instance, if, if you get a form letter for business, a business form letter, it has a certain type of form, and you can look at it and say, oh, that's a, that's a form letter for business. A tweet has a certain type of form. You know, you look at it and you go, oh, that must be a tweet. I can just tell by how long it is and by the way it's constructed. Well, the same thing. There's a certain structure, certain elements that are typically present in a Thanksgiving psalm, literarily speaking. And I just kind of want to walk you through those. And here's how I'm going to have you remember it. Think of this acronym, I-MART, I-M-A-R-T, like the store Kmart, except cut off the K, and put the letter I in front of it. That's how you can remember a Thanksgiving psalm. It's I-mart. And the, and the I-mart describes the characteristics. And in each of those characteristics, they're present here in this psalm. And I'd like to say they're present in our lives too as Christians. So what does the I stand for? Well, it stands for the introduction. Every Thanksgiving psalm begins with an introduction. But by the way, the psalm that Seth read earlier, 116, Psalm 116, is a Thanksgiving psalm. So you can go back later and look at that psalm with, with the I-Mart lens, and you'll see the whole structure there. You'll see those elements present. But it always begins with a kind of summary introduction, and that's what you get in verse 2. Jonah prays from inside the f- fish to the Lord, and he says, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. There it is in a nutshell. I was having a problem. I cried out to God. And God saved me. I was having a crisis. And I 
appealed to the Lord, and he rescued me. That's classic Thanksgiving psalm. A crisis, a deliverance. And, and so the whole psalm is kind of there in a condensed form. And again, I'd like to just say, that's the story of the Christian life. You know, every Christian can read verse 2 and say, you know what? That's the summary of my whole experience as a Christian. I was in crisis, and God saved me. Every real Christian can say, I I was a sinner, lost in my sin, and I was in need of a Savior, and the Savior came and rescued me. I was in trouble, and I prayed to the Lord, and he delivered me. It's the basic kind of template of Christian experience. And so it is here, the introduction. And and suddenly, already, we're relating to this introduction. We're like, yeah, that's me. I used to be lost. I used to be far from God. And then something happened, and then I came to faith in Jesus, and he forgave me. And now I'm spiritually in a different place because of what the Lord has done for me. But we can't leave it at the introduction. We need to expand this. And so the rest of the psalm, verses 2 through 9, expands on that basic template of trouble and rescue, uh, crisis and delivery, sin and salvation. And so, so you get to the next letter in the I mark. So I is the introduction. M, M stands for misery. You've got to be saved from something. There's some misery from which you're delivered out of. That's the whole point of the Thanksgiving. I'm so thankful because God saved me from whatever it was, right? So what's the misery in Jonah's story? What is it that Jonah was saved from? And as you look at Jonah's story, there's probably two ways to answer that. There's probably two things from which Jonah was saved. One is that he was saved physically from drowning, I mean, he was physically drowning. He was going down. They threw him overboard, right, into the sea. And and he's sinking down. Look at the description in verse 3. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled around me. The waves and breakers swept over me. You can just see him sinking down underneath these huge uh, tempest waves. He said, I've been banished from your sight. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And down he goes, verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away. You know, what a terrifying picture of somebody drowning. Just going deeper and deeper in the seaweed, and then eventually consciousness is starting to slip away from him, and he's just descending further and further under the waves. I mean, I don't know. I kind of have a little bit of fear of drowning. I I don't think I'd want to drown. It sounds pretty horrible. I I had an experience when I was a kid. uh, Some of you know I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we would drive to uh, L.A. sometimes to go to the beaches there, you know, do a weekend trip or whatever. And uh, I remember being a little kid, like, not too old, and going out and figuring out how to body surf in the waves and, you know, finally getting the hang of it, f- figuring out how to swim right when the waves are curling the right way and, you know, that, that incredible feeling when you actually get lifted by a wave and, and you're just riding on this wall of power. And, and I remember one time I, I got picked up by a big wave. It probably wasn't that big, but when you're small, it was, you know, way bigger than me, maybe twice my height. 
and, and just the power picking me up in this wave. And then it, it must, I must have been on a place where the, the, uh, the sand came up abruptly because, you know, if it doesn't come up gradually, the wave crashes quickly. And, and I just got thrown down by this wave. And I remember just being buried in, in all that turbulent water right after the wave crashes. And, you know, I, I didn't know which direction was up. I couldn't go anywhere. You know, you swim, but you're not really going anywhere. And eventually, you just kind of go ragdoll. You're like, whatever. You know, I'll just <laughs> flow. And, 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 you know, not knowing, I don't know how long I'm going to be down. I, don't, I can't get up. I don't even know which way up is. I'm just being flown around in the water. And, and that weird feeling of like, you know, I could, this could be it. I, I could die. Sort of a strange feeling. Have you ever, have you ever almost died? Some of you here have almost died. Maybe you were drowning, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you had a heart attack, and you felt it, and you felt death pressing in on you. Maybe you were choking, or I don't know, maybe some of you here have been in the military, and you've seen combat, and you've been in very terrible situations where people were dying around you, and you thought, I'm, this is it. And, you know, it's a very strange feeling of thinking, I could die right now. This could be the end. And that's where Jonah was. He was dying. His, his, you know, verse 7, my life was ebbing away. His consciousness sinking. There's no hope. I'm sinking down. And so he, that was his misery. He was a drowning man. He was on the verge of death. But you know, there's another way to read Jonah's misery, one that I think is actually even more terrifying. That Jonah's misery was not just physical drowning, but he was actually also drowning under the judgment of God. That it wasn't just waves and a storm, but the hand of God was against him in that storm. God's judgment was upon him in that storm, and God was sinking him down in that storm. Remember, the, you know, let's remember this whole story. This story is about a confrontation between a holy God and a very disobedient, stiff-necked prophet. You go back to chapter 1, verse 2. Remember who God is. What did God originally say to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2? He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This is a holy God who hates human wickedness. God hates sin. And, and he puts up with it, and he tolerates, and he's so patient. And, and finally, it just gets to be too much, and God says, that's it. I'm not putting up with this anymore. Nineveh is going down. Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And, and, but I'm going to give Nineveh one more chance, because God is also compassionate. One more chance. So Jonah, you go. This is their last chance. Go preach to them. But Nineveh is going down. He's a holy God who hates sin. And when Jonah disobeyed, and Jonah went the other way, God pursued him, and we, we saw back in chapter 1, verse 4, that God sent the storm upon the ship. And in verse 12 of chapter 1, Jonah said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he told, he's telling the sailors, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. This is God pursuing me in his justice and his holiness. Or look at chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Jonah says, you hurled me into the deep. He's saying that to God. God, you hurled me into the deep. I go, wait a minute. 
God didn't hurl him into the deep. The sailors hurled him into the deep. Well, which is it? Did the sailors hurl him into the deep or did God hurl him into the deep? Answer, correct. Yes. Which is it? Right. It's both. Like, how can that be? Is is it human responsibility or God's responsibility? And, And the Bible doesn't make any such distinctions. God's sovereignty is so great and so awesome that he is even accomplishing things through the the responsible actions of free human beings. And and you say, well, how can that be? Well, I I don't know. I mean, I I don't understand God. He's so awesome. He's so great. My mind can't understand the Trinity. My mind can't understand the incarnation. Why do I think my mind can understand the sovereignty of God? But Jonah could say, without error, he could say accurately, God has thrown me in. And so he saw the the judgment of God in his being cast into the sea by those sailors. He says, your your waves, verse 3, they were swirling. All your waves and breakers swept over me. he, He saw the anger and the judgment of God as those waves were crashing down upon him. Or look at verse 4. He said, I've been banished from your sight. So it's not just that Jonah was, was sinking down underwater and going down into the ocean. It's also that, in a sense, he was sinking down away from God. That the judgment of God was on him, and the distance between the God of life and love and Jonah was increasing and increasing as he sank further and further down. You know, what, what a, a, a gripping, uh, poignant picture of being under God's judgment is to sink down. To sink down, right? You know, that's what hell is. Hell is is the bottomless pit where you sink and sink and you never go up. And you never hit bottom. And, and, And you say, it can't get any worse than this. And for all eternity, it gets worse and worse as you get further and further from hope and from the life of God. It's the judgment of God upon Jonah. That's his misery. And that's why I say that Jonah's story is our story. Because even though you obviously probably have not been swallowed by a fish or you've not drowned, maybe, maybe some of you have faced death, maybe you haven't. But all Christians are aware that they were sinking down under the judgment of God. No Christian says, no real Christian says, I was fine. I was a good, decent person. Of course God saved me. Every real Christian has come to the place of saying, I was a lost sinner under the judgment of God. And if you've never come to see that, then you can't be a Christian. That's the starting place is to say, ay, 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 I'm lost. I'm not good enough. God is against me without Jesus. In fact, do this if you would. Put a bookmark here in Jonah, if you don't mind, and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page 1156 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. And actually, bookmark Ephesians 2, because we're going to kind of go back and forth between Jonah 2 and Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 is, is the New Testament version of of Jonah 2. This is where we were before Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 to 3. 
page 1156. Paul says to the Christians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What a terrible picture of our condition without Christ. Verse 1, dead. We were dead spiritually in our sins. Verse 2, we used to just follow the ways of the world. We didn't follow God. We just went along with whatever anyone was doing at work, whatever anyone was doing in the fraternity, whatever anybody was doing at the school parties, whatever anyone was doing on TV. We just went along with the conventional wisdom of the world. We were under the kingdom of the air. Verse 3, we gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. If God said go east, but my heart said go west, I went west. I followed my nature and my cravings. And then, of course, the ending of verse 3 is so terrifying. We were by nature, by, by our fundamental constitution spiritually, we were objects of God's wrath. And as Christians, we realize this. We, we, it, this is the first step in coming to Jesus is you've got to realize your biggest problem is the wrath and judgment of God, not, not, not financial problems, not emotional problems, not physical problems, not family problems. Those are all big. But this is a great problem of being under God's curse and God's judgment. It's a terrible thing. And I want to stress that because the thing is you can be going up in some ways in life, and yet be sinking down spiritually and not really realize it. You could be going up right now. Maybe you're, you're accomplishing things and finishing things. Maybe you're a, a fifth grader graduating elementary school or an eighth grader graduating junior high or a twelfth grader graduating high school or you're graduating college or you started your first job or you just got married or, or, or you just found out you're pregnant with your first child, or, or you just landed the big job, or you finally paid off your mortgage, or at last you get to retire, you know. Ah, oh, finally made it. I'm going up, I'm going up, I'm going up. But if you don't have Christ, you're going down, you're going down, you're going down. And you don't even know it. Because this is a spiritual reality to be under the judgment and the curse of God. And part of the effect of sin, this is why sin is so terrible, is that it, it makes you numb and blind to your spiritual plight. It, it blinds your mind and blinds your thinking. So Jonah is here to show us where we really stand. You may be going up in the world, but you need to look at Jonah to see where you are spiritually without God. It reminded me of that, that great old hymn, uh, What Wondrous Love Is This? You guys know that hymn? It's, uh, check it out. Okay, so you have to juggle a lot of books here. Put your Bible down. Get your hymnal out. Number 314. You guys know this hymn? What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul. What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss 
There it is. To bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. There's the introduction to the Thanksgiving psalm. This is a Thanksgiving psalm, by the way. It's a Thanksgiving song. Then the second verse. Oh, would it? Could we sing this? Let's just sing it. Ready? When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. Misery. I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown. Jonah's story is our story. The holy God of the Old Testament is the holy God of the New Testament. The disobedient, stiff-necked prophet of the Old Testament. Oh, that's me. And we face the same crisis of God's judgment. And what can you do when you're sinking down? What can you do when your life is ebbing away? There's really nothing to do but simply cry out for mercy. And that leads us to the A, I mart, I introduction, M misery. A is an appeal. A stands for appeal, an appeal for mercy. Go back to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Finally, just before he's about to die, this stiff-necked, stubborn, ungracious prophet finally prays to God. You know, everyone else is crying out to God in this story except this prophet. And it's not until he's under the waves, under the water, under the seaweed, he's starting to black out, he's, he can feel his lungs burning, his consciousness is fading to black, it's becoming a narrow tunnel, and, and that light of consciousness is fading. And there at the last minute he says in verse 7, my prayer rose to your holy temple. He couldn't even talk. He was underwater. So it must have been a thought bubble. And how much could he really pray at that moment? How much could he really pray? It's probably just, you know, who knows what his prayer was, but it couldn't have been more than like, help me, save me, I'm sorry, oh God have mercy. It couldn't have been a very eloquent prayer. It couldn't have been some, some wonderful verbose prayer like, like the psalm that he developed while he had time inside the fish. It must have just been one of those little... God, help me. It was a bare appeal of faith. There was no chance to make amends for his life. There was no chance to reverse the course of his decisions. He didn't have any strength to swim back up against it. All he could do was simply reach out in bare faith and just say, God, help me. 
Have mercy on my soul. And that's all we have. And again, that is the story of every Christian. Every real Christian knows that they were sinking down under the judgment of God. Every Christian recognizes that their, their former life was hell-bound. And they recognize that at some point, they simply said, Jesus, save me. Maybe you prayed a prayer that someone led you in, or, or maybe it was just one of those moments. I heard a testimony of a guy last Monday. We were sharing testimonies at this Bible study, and he said he just prayed a simple prayer like, Jesus, help me. And that was, you know, that simple act of faith reaching out, you know, with nothing else to do except to send up that little thought bubble of faith. Help. God, have mercy. Jesus, forgive me. And that's all we have to bring to the equation of our salvation. Again, go back to Ephesians now. I hope, hope you bookmarked Ephesians 2. Go back to Ephesians 2. Verse 8. Ephesians 2, verse 8. What a wonderful verse this is. It's a foundational verse. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You're saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You can't boast about a a thought bubble that says, God, save me. There's nothing to boast about there. It's just a desperate plea. It's not faith plus works. It's not faith plus plus doing good deeds, you know? I, one of the things I really appreciated that, that, uh, about the Grace Works ministry that was interviewed up here is, is that these, both these ladies were saying, I want to help in the community because I'm so amazed at God's grace for me. It's just overflowing. You know, th- that's key. It's not, I want to help in the community because I know that's what God would want for me to be a good person and to please God. And, and you know, it's like, no, 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 no. You're saved by grace. And then that grace works, (laughs) but it's not the grace, it's not the works that save you. It's so important to get that right. It's a simple little thing, but if you miss it, well, you've missed the whole thing. We're saved by faith, not faith plus doing good deeds or faith plus church attendance or faith plus yoga or faith plus the 12 steps or faith plus anything. It's just faith alone. We're saved by grace through faith and not by works. There's nothing we can point to. People say, well, how did you get saved? It's like, I I just cried out, help me, God. It's faith alone. And so as Jonah cries out, sinking down, and that little thought bubble floats up from his head, I say, that's my story. I know that's true. I was saved by faith through faith alone. And God acts, and that brings us to the R. R stands for rescue. There's an introduction. There's misery. There's the appeal, God save me. And then there's a divine rescue in both Jonah's story and our story. There's a great rescue that takes place. Jonah is rescued from his drowning and sinking down, and we are rescued from the judgment and the curse of God. And what I want to point out is that in both circumstances, it is a supernatural rescue. It's supernatural, right? That's like Jonah's story. He got saved by a fish swallowing him. You're like, how could that be? I know some of you here, 
Um, maybe you're kind of skeptical of, of the Bible, and you say, this is the kind of story that makes me skeptical of the Bible. How could a fish swallow a guy for three days? You know, and people go, I don't believe it. What kind of fish was that? You know, if you know what, what was it? A whale shark? Was it a sperm whale? I've heard they have big pouches inside their mouth that can hold a person. And, and people say, no, 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 it could have been this. It could have been a sperm whale. It could have been a whale shark. Oh, no, 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 there's a story about this guy who got swallowed by this fish, and then they cut him open, and then it's actually happened, you know. And, like, and, you know, and, and when people try to go down those roads to explain it that way, I, I just think, you know, you're missing the whole point. The whole point of the story is that this wasn't a natural phenomenon. It was supernatural. That's the whole point. Like if you miss that and you explain it away and say, oh no, this thing can totally happen. It happens all the time. It doesn't. That's the point. It's a miracle. That's the whole point. I mean, look, verse 17. The Lord provided a great fish. Chapter 2, verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited. Right? That's the, the message here is that God has done something supernatural. It's a miracle. You know, God can do miracles. You say, I don't know if I believe in that. Well, look, it, it all comes down to whether or not there's a God. If there is a God, then believing in miracles is completely logical and rational. Because if there is a God who made everything and put natural order in place, God could interrupt that natural order Anytime he wanted to. Even if he doesn't do it very often, even if you've never seen it done, it doesn't mean logically he can't do it. It's completely rational to believe if there is a God that he could do miracles. If there's not a God, well, of course something like this would seem far-fetched. But why don't you believe there's a God? You know? Well, it's based on faith either way. You have to take a step of faith. You can't disprove the existence of God. You can't go everywhere in the universe and and positively falsify the existence of God. And so to disbelieve in God, you must take a step of faith. So here's God doing a miracle. That's the whole point. But what's, what's the bigger point? We've experienced a miracle too. Our salvation was miraculous. I mean, it started before time where God said, I'm going to save a people for myself. I'm going to predestine a people. That's a big mystery, miracle. And then Jesus came, and and God, the second person of the Trinity, became a human being. He became incarnate. That's a miracle. And then there was a virgin birth. That was a miracle. And then he lived a perfect life. Jesus was the only guy who always went east when God said go east. He was the only guy who always always worshipped the Lord perfectly. He lived a perfect life. That's a miracle. That's a big miracle. And then when he died on the cross, all all of God's wrath against my sin was transferred to his son. So I I don't have to die for my sin. Christ died for my sin. How could my judgment go to somebody else? It's a miracle. It's supernatural. These things just don't happen. And then he died, and they put him in the grave. And like Jonah, three days later, he came out. It was a supernatural miracle. And even, even my faith in God, like, like we read in Ephesians 2, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. Even the faith I have 
is not from me. It's a miracle. You know, why do I believe in Jesus? You know, people, people ask me that. I've chatted with people about that different times. Well, why do you believe in Jesus? And, you know, one, one way I could answer that is, well, let me explain to you why I think the Bible's true. Here's six archaeological arguments for the existence of the Bible, and here's the teleological argument for the existence of God, and the ontological argument, you know. But that's not why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because there was a miracle that happened to me, which is I was given faith. And I didn't believe, and then I believed. And I can't really explain it to you, except God saved me. God grants faith. And the fact that I'm still following Jesus today, and I haven't fallen off the wagon or shot myself in the foot, or I, it's a miracle. I, I mean, I have a sense of God's supernatural grace carrying me throughout my entire life all the way to the end so that at the end of our lives as Christians, we'll look back and we'll say it was grace, 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 grace. It was God's grace in my life. You might even say that Jonah's miracle, Jonah's miraculous salvation, was a lot more ordinary than ours. That being swallowed by a fish is really small potatoes compared to what God has done for us. The Lord has saved us from hell and sin and judgment by the death of his son and his resurrection and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he's not going to let us go and he's going to bring us to heaven. It's amazing. His amazing love for us. You know, when I was sinking down, sinking down, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. What an incredible story of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel is that God has given us what we don't deserve God can save sinners. God has rescued us. And, and when that gospel message like grips you and you're like, wow, it naturally leads to the T of IMART. What's the T stand for? You probably guess. Thanksgiving. Thanks. Right? It just blah, blah, bubbles over. I got to give thanks. Look what God has done for me. When you've been rescued from something bad, no one has to tell you to be thankful. You just, you get it. You're like, oh, I can't believe it, you know. People have been through terrible things in another country. They come home and they kiss the ground, you know. You don't have to tell them it's time to kiss the ground now. And they're just like, oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for what God has done for me. It just comes out of you naturally. It's thanks. And you see it here in this story. Going back to Jonah chapter 2. Verse 9, how does it end? With a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. It's thanks. I'm singing thanks. I'm going to make sacrifices. I'm vowing. I'm going to consecrate myself. I'm devoted to you, God. Right? What's really cool is Jonah's response to his salvation is the exact same thanksgiving response as the sailors, the pagan sailors. Ooh, look at verse 16 of chapter 1. At this, the men, the pagan sailors, greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice and made vows. And Jonah, he sings a song of thanksgiving, he makes sacrifices, he does vows. And so the, the, the disobedient is Israeli, Israelite prophet and the pagan idol-worshiping sailors both are disobedient to God in their own ways. They both go through a big crisis. They both cry out to God. The sailors cry out on the deck of the ship in verse 14. 
and Jonah cries out as he's sinking down. Both are miraculously delivered and both offer thanks. And so suddenly Jonah, who doesn't want to have any mercy on those bad pagan people, he finds himself on common footing at the, fo- at the foot, of, really, of the cross of God's mercy. And that's what I love about the church. I love how it brings all kinds of people together who normally wouldn't be connected in society. You know, di- different ethnicities, different cultures, you know, different socioeconomic and education levels and different ages and married and single. And people from all different backgrounds are brought together in the church. It's like what unifies us in the church? It's that we all have this fundamental experience of the same salvation. And we're all here each week to give thanks. That's why we're here, to just praise God for what he's done for us. And so we gather weekly to give thanks, but it's not just in this room, is it? It's just our whole lives. Our whole lives should just be bubbling over with thanks. You know, that's why being a a cranky, grumpy, critical, miserable Christian is kind of an oxymoron. I mean, I get it because I'm a cranky, grumpy, miserable Christian, so I'm not saying like to you. I'm like I'm that way, but when I like look at what God has done for me, I'm like I don't get why I'm not more thankful. I just must not really get what God has done for me. You know wh- why am I so so much of the time and uh, complaining about this and that and we're all complaining and all miserable and but if I really realized like when I've been saved from and what I've been saved by and what I've been saved for. You know, there should be just kind of like a, a hum of thanksgiving that's always in my heart. I should always be cheerful. I, I should always be uplifted and upbeat. Okay, yeah, 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 so I got all these problems in my life. But guess what? I'm saved, and God loves me, and I'm his child. Oh. You know, that's why when you get to heaven, no one's sad. Because in heaven, we'll all see it clearly. In heaven, you'll be able to walk over to the edge and see hell, and go, whoo. And in heaven, you'll be able to look up and see the Lord Jesus and, and see his glory, the, the most happy, joyous being in the world of whom you're a part. And you'll realize what you, what you have in Christ and from what you've been saved. And the gratitude, it just won't run out in heaven. That's why it's a place of constant joy and singing. Because the realities of our salvation will be so pressed upon us. I, I, I won't be able to be upset if someone littered on the streets of gold. I mean, it's like, who cares? Who cares? Why am I so cranky? Just praise God for my salvation. Salvation comes from the Lord. And we'll sing. And we'll continue singing. And it makes us sing in this life. And it makes us sing in the life to come. So let's go to hymn 314 again. We've got to finish singing that. Hymn 314. Would you stand and let's sing those last two verses. Hymn 314.
To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb who is the great I am. While millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing.